It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. So no. This verdict is not justice. Frankly, I don't even think we call it full accountability because there are multiple officers that were there. It wasn't just Derek Chauvin. And I also don't want this moment to be framed as this system working, working because it's not working. And that's what creates a lot of complexity in this moment. It certainly does. It's very inconvenient that Derek Chauvin was found guilty on all three charges to the left. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the young communist, very inconvenient because um, it might cause people to stand down and stop rioting and start uh, stop attacking police for a minute, and we can't have that. Yes, that's the big story of the day. George Floyd is dead. His parents are and family are grieving. Derek Chauvin now is guilty, according to the jury, of all three counts. His life is ruined. He'll spend decades behind bars. Uh, police in the country are experiencing violent attacks all over. There were tons of them this morning that I read about. Uh, they are in such jeopardy. And therefore, the people, you and me, we, the people, are in jeopardy because our police are under fire. The justice system is breaking down, and the left will never be satisfied, I guess, till every white man has been hung by a tree. Uh, and I'm not sure that will be enough. And every uh, white person has emptied their bank account and is living in poverty. I just uh, I don't see the end to this, and so uh, we find ourselves in a real dilemma. It is an injustice to all of us. Uh, the way that the justice system has broken down, the fact that the president, the vice president, weighed in on this in such uh, horrific ways. I'll play more of that tomorrow. I'm not going to belabor this today. You can turn on your news and you can watch it pillar to post. Uh, and we will, you know, take in the information, but we're not going to talk about that today. But we are going to talk about injustice because we are all, we are wired. God created us in his image. He is a just God and we all crave justice. Our children say, that wasn't fair. He got that and I didn't get this. That's all about justice. We are hardwired to want justice. And so we're going to talk today about another kind of injustice. I've been telling you for several days, we're going to be spending today talking about what happened on January the 6th. You will recall there was an election in November for the presidency. You will recall that the night that we all watched those returns we were stunned to see that in spite of what uh, we knew to be true, that numbers were changing, that the uh, television networks were playing with us in terms of who they announced as a winner and winner in various states. Florida was won early by President Trump, but they refused to call it. 
Uh, Arizona was called early also. Uh, there was just a lot of things that made no sense. And then we heard after the election that there was uh, all kinds of chicanery in voting, whether it was mail-in ballots or falsifying of signatures. There were uh, courts that stepped in to allow mail-in ballots to be returned days and days after the election actually took place when they did not have the right constitutionally to do that. We found out that voting machines and software were suspect in several different states. We found out that uh, Mark Zuckerberg had spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, recruiting people to sort of manage the voting in various states. We found out a lot of things. And so because of that, there was a lot of doubt about the outcome of that election. Plus, I think people's just their gut knew that President Trump uh, was able to beat a, a weak, weak, horribly weak candidate like Joe Biden. And so um, the people went to the Capitol on January 6th because uh, that was the day that the electoral votes were to be certified. President Trump held a rally. Uh, and I just want to take you back in time before we talk about what's been happening since that time. President Trump spoke. There were hundreds of thousands of people there. Many of you were there, uh, as I said many times before, but for some illness here at home, we would have been there as well because we wanted to go and support a President Trump. We feel still that ele- that election was likely stolen from him. So he ended his remarks that day by saying this. Our exciting adventures and boldest endeavors have not yet begun. My fellow Americans, for our movement, for our children, and for our beloved country, and I say this, despite all that's happened, the best is yet to come. So we're going to, we're going to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. I love Pennsylvania Avenue. And we're going to the Capitol and we're going to try and give, the Democrats are hopeless. They're never voting for anything. Not even one vote. But we're going to try and give our Republicans the weak ones, because the strong ones don't need any of our help. We're going to try and give them the kind of pride and boldness that they need to take back our country. So let's walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. I want to thank you all. God bless you and God bless America. Thank you all for being here. This is incredible. Thank you very much. All right, and for that, the president was accused of inciting riots and inciting an insurrection. That were the, those were the words that he uh, charged the crowd with. So the crowd, not all of them, but because it was very, very cold, and they were families from all over the country. They were old and young. You heard Mike Waller, uh, a friend and a guest, uh, who observed that day, national security expert, what he saw, just people in wheelchairs, children, all kinds of people, uh, none of them violent, a happy crowd. Uh, walking, many of them then, to the Capitol. And then when they got to the Capitol, all kinds of things happened. I think you have to understand how big the Capitol is. If you haven't been there, there are lots of different entrances. And so um, what happened at one entrance didn't happen at another entrance. And so there are many, many different stories about what transpired there. So, And they're very different, all the way from the Capitol Police opening the doors and letting people in uh, to people allegedly breaking, well, we saw in in video, people breaking windows. There was some violent action. Mike Waller said that there were people inciting the crowd. Uh, he talked about that in great detail. Well, there was a report. I just want to take you back and let you hear a little bit about what it sounded like, as at least in one area of the Capitol. This is clip four. 
Trump supporters have largely been blamed for the violence against police officers and property, but video footage appears to show a different story. This video taken by NTD's on-the-ground reporters shows Trump supporters trying to stop the people smashing windows of the Capitol building and calling them Antifa. You can hear them saying, anyone who does this is not with us. It appears other protesters grab his leg and pull him down to stop him from breaking the window. Other videos show pro-Trump protesters booing those breaking in and calling them Antifa. This video appears to show them trying to stop the people smashing windows and shoving them towards the police. We do know that many genuine Trump supporters did make it inside the barricades of the Capitol building. A number of them say they didn't use violence to get in, but were let in. In this video, police appear to open the barricades. Zach Voorhees, a former Google employee turned whistleblower, recorded a video of a Trump supporter who left the rally after things turned violent. He claims he overheard a plot to make Trump supporters look bad. They were dressed as Trump supporters, but I could tell by their conversation that they were looking to do, and I heard him say, we got to shake this up so that these people look bad. And I saw them break a window on the Capitol. Wednesday night, Congressman Mo Brooks urged people to not rush judgment on who assaulted the Capitol building. Brooks said on Twitter that another congressman told him that intelligence suggested Antifa was going to try to infiltrate the rally by dressing like Trump supporters. All right, that's just the first part of that report. That's NTD. Of course, that's one account. I think that there's no doubt that Trump supporters went in with the idea uh, that they were going to try to encourage as President Trump had admonished them, give courage to people like Mitch McConnell, to people especially like Vice President Pence, who could have stopped uh, the certification of those electoral votes and given time to actually ponder what the evidence was, because there had been no hearing of the real evidence. So I know people felt that way. I think there were some troublemakers in the crowd, and we're going to talk about that uh, to a great extent today. But out of that, of course, the narrative came that Trump supporters were uh, violent, They were violent extremists and now called insurrectionists. And we were told that five people were killed. Five people were killed that day. You've heard that. Well, that's not true. Brian Sicknick, uh, who was a police officer, a Capitol police officer, he was accused of, uh, he died later, I think a day or two later after this, in the hospital. And the narrative uh, immediately from the New York Times was that he was beaten with fire extinguishers by protesters, by Trump supporters. But that wasn't true. And then we heard that, well, no, two Trump supporters then sprayed him with bear spray, and he must have had a reaction, and that caused his death. But this week we found out something very different. This is Clip 10, Shepard Smith. One of the mysteries of the January 6th insurrection is solved tonight. The D.C. medical examiner today ruled that Capitol Hill police officer Brian Sicknick died of natural causes. The autopsy report indicates Sicknick suffered from two strokes and a blood clot, or from a blood clot, the day after he confronted rioters. The medical examiner reports finding no evidence of internal or external injuries. Capitol Police had previously said Officer Sicknick was injured while engaging with protesters. He collapsed later that day and died eight hours later at a hospital. Two men are accused of assaulting him with bear spray, but neither is charged with his death. Both men have pleaded not guilty. 
The medical examiner told the Washington Post newspaper there was also no evidence that Officer Sicknick suffered any allergic reaction. All right. The medical examiner also said that the other three people that are claimed as having died as a result of that, two of them died of heart attacks, natural heart attacks, and one, as I understand it, was pushed over and got uh, hurt by the crowd. That's a little unclear. Uh, trampled. You know, Mike Waller talked about how the crowd was just rushing. There were hundreds of thousands of people, and there was no way to back up. And there were insiders. We heard video of them. We heard audio of them telling people to move forward, move forward. Uh, and so they did that, and then they some of them, you, it's not a surprise that one person uh, should have uh, died from being crushed by that kind of rush. So Brian Sicknick did not die of uh, at the hands of Trump supporters. And neither did, neither did anyone else. Ashley Babbitt, however, did die. And I want to take you back to the moment. She was an Army a veteran, Air Force veteran. She was climbing up, uh, um, uh, into, up a window like the anteroom of the Congress, Congressional Chamber. Uh, and uh, she was shot by a Capitol policeman. Let's listen to this. Clip She's gone, man. She's gone, man. That's just, just hard to hear. I mean, that's we saw that. We actually saw that on video. That was the one casualty. And she was killed by a Capitol Police officer in a suit. Uh, and we still don't know his name. And he's been uh, he's not being charged with anything, unlike the multiple police officers around the country who are in a crime altercation and have been uh, uh, killing different people, white and black, in the course of doing their duties. And then... Um, fired, stripped of their duties, disgraced. Uh, There is an injustice here, uh, for sure. And there is an injustice about what's happening to people that were in that Capitol building on that day. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Who are they? Where are they? And what's happening? Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. This is good news, maybe exactly when you need it to. Right now, MetaShare is waiving their new member fees. This could save you money on top of all that you'll save each month by becoming a member of MetaShare. So many people are looking for a healthcare solution right now, seeing the cost of COBRA plans, for instance, and MetaShare is the affordable alternative to health insurance. The typical family saves $500 a month. You might save even more. MediShare is a Christian community that shares each other's healthcare costs. And because of the current economic situation, they're making it easier than ever. Apply by April 30th and you can save an additional $170 on your first month. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Just tell them the promo code SHARE to receive your additional savings. Maybe now is the time to make the switch like more than 400,000 people already have and start saving. Here it is. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray. 
a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Daniel Walsh, Acting Director of the Pentagon Force Protection Agency. His agency protects the occupants, visitors, and infrastructure of the Pentagon and other buildings of our Defense Department. Psalm 34-7 reminds us of the spiritual protection God gives us each day. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Daniel Walsh as he works to safeguard the people and structures in our nation's capital. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Get your 2021 prayer journal to help guide you through the year in prayer. Available now at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. No matter your career goals, you want to find a university that provides excellent academics and state-of-the-art facilities at a price you can afford. At Liberty University, they believe a quality Christian education should be available to everyone. That's why they've frozen their tuition rates through the 2021-2022 academic year and offer multiple scholarships, like the Middle America Scholarship, to bring that price point even lower. Learn more by texting STARNS to the number 49596. The Freedom From Religion Foundation is outraged because the FBI has a Christian chaplain who offers prayers at FBI events. The Freedom From Religion Foundation is a radical gang of atheists, agnostics, and freethinkers. They wrote a threatening letter demanding a complete list from the FBI of anything remotely related to the Christian faith. The perpetually offended atheists were especially upset because a chaplain offered a prayer during graduation ceremonies at the FBI Academy. For the record, there is nothing illegal or unconstitutional about a government agency engaging in freedom of religion. Now, the atheist also took issue because the chapel is stocked with Bibles and other religious materials. Imagine that, a religious room filled with religious material. Then again, nothing triggers an atheist faster than the Word of God. And you don't have to be an FBI agent to figure out that mystery. Be sure to read more about this story at ToddSterns.com. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. After the 6th, we had an inauguration on the 20th. So I wanted to ensure and our office wanted to ensure that there was shock and awe that we could charge as many people as possible before the 20th. And it worked because we saw through media posts that people were afraid to come back to D.C. because they were like, if we go there, we're going to get charged. We wanted to take out those individuals that essentially were thumbing their noses at the, the public for what they did. Yeah, so a shock and awe. We'll put some fear into these people, these patriots that came to the Capitol to support President Trump because they thought he was the real winner. Uh, and they actually wanted Congress to do what they thought was right. And so they went to the Capitol, and uh, now they must be punished. You know, uh, there's such hatred for President Trump, and it was uh, vitriolic. And we all, I don't need to convince you of that, do I? Do I need to convince anyone that President Trump was hated with vitriol by uh, the left, by a lot of Republicans? I think probably Mitch McConnell. He, I haven't heard him say hate, but... He lost a bit of his power and some of the shine on his uh, his ability to control things uh, because President Trump was a star that outshone him and had more power than he had, except uh, that 
Uh, Mitch McConnell won in the end, actually. He didn't do anything to lift a finger to help, neither did Kevin McCarthy. In the final analysis, he was supposed to be like a President Trump's boy, his uh, his uh, proud protege, Kevin McCarthy. President Trump bragged on him all the time, and Kevin McCarthy, when the chips were down, failed him. So a lot of people felt like uh, the Congress needed to step up to the plate and actually look at the evidence, but they didn't. Mike Pence did not do that. Uh, the Congress didn't. Some of them intended to. They were full into this. Uh, and people at that rally thought that they were, look, I can't say for everyone. I just know that people who listen to this show, I can kind of imagine what they were thinking, was to go into the Capitol and show support to those uh, Republicans in there who need to be encouraged, that the people really want something to be done. But instead, it's been all twisted. And so far, Trump supporters have been disdained, but they haven't been insurrectionists. They haven't been criminals. But the Justice Department under Joe Biden has changed everything. In fact, you heard um, that that comment just now by, uh, what's his name? Sorry, um, Michael Sherwin, who is the acting DOJ attorney, kind of salivating over, <laughs> we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do shock and all, but he wasn't finished. He went on to say this, clip three. Sedition occurs when anyone opposes by force the authority of the United States or by force hinders or delays the execution of any law of the United States. Do you anticipate sedition charges against some of these suspects? I believe the facts do support those charges. Uh, and I think that as we go forward, more facts will support that, Scott. Yeah. Okay, so now we're at sedition. Uh, Trump supporters are not only uh, like insurrectionist, uh, what, uh, election deniers. I haven't heard that term, but that's really what they're being accused of. Uh, but they are now going to be charged with sedition, and they are serious as death about this, if I could just say it that way. Um, I want to tell you that a federal judge, actually, a, an Obama appointee, scolded uh, Sherwin for, for saying what he did uh, on 60 Minutes. Uh, saying that um, they could taint the Capitol riot case. Yes, they could. Maybe he's done us a, a, a favor. Maybe if there's any kind of um, honest judiciary left in D.C., because that's where they're taking people to be tried. They're holding them in jails there. Uh, they're being heard by judges who handled what? Let's see, Michael Flynn, uh, Paul Manafort. Anybody remember what happened to those people? That's the justice system in D.C., and that's what's happening to people have been who have been arrested uh, the Capitol right prosecutors are asking for a delay. They ask for this delay. Uh, I don't know when, what this is dated uh, because they said it's the most complex probe in U.S. history. Uh, but word on the street has it that they're having trouble finding things to actually charge people with because the people that went into the building, by and large, except for the people bake, breaking windows, who now it's a mystery, isn't it, who those people were? We don't know because in that clip we heard, we had uh, Trump supporters saying, that's Antifa. Don't break those windows. Stop that. And trying to stop them. Who was breaking windows? Uh, was it people that listened to American Family Radio that supported President Trump? They decided to go to their capital, which they love. The beauty of it, they go in and they're just going to smash windows. That's characteristic of Trump supporters, isn't it? Yeah, okay. I kind of don't think so. So the Justice Department has called January 6th Capitol attack probe one of the largest in U.S. history, and they expect about 400 people to be charged. I don't know what the number is um, exactly, but they're expecting about 
400. So they are working very hard. We have all kinds of stories, and I'm going to get to those in just a minute, about various people that have been targeted and what's actually happened to them. Charges have been brought against 312 people, at least at, uh, by Mar- This is March 12th. This is an older article. I've been saving a lot of, um, to, well, a lot. That's an understatement of information for you. Uh, and I've mentioned occasionally some of these things, but I kind of wanted to make it concise into one one concentrated show. That's what we're trying to do today. So investigators have executed more than 900 electronic and physical search warrants, amassed more than 15,000 hours of law enforcement surveillance and body camera video, 1,600 electronic devices, and 210,000 tips. That's what your Justice Department has been doing. And uh, they're going after people like the Oath Keepers, like Proud Boys. And we're going to get into that in just a second. Uh, The Office of Federal Public Defender in D.C. has nine attorneys working multiple capital cases, um, along with many more court-appointed or privately retained counsel. So we know that they're, you know, they're they're going after people. Uh, I'm going to get to the people in just a second. We also know on that day there was tremendous confusion about what happened with the Capitol Police? I remember that people that uh, from that listened to the show contacted us. I did an open line on that about what you saw and what you, what you experienced, and they talked about how the Capitol Police just didn't do much. They they didn't they didn't know no one quite knew what to do or where they were, and it seemed as though they were confused too. Well, we know more about that now. We know that Capitol Police were told to hold back. Uh, they were to uh, not to not equipped to handle a huge crowd. Uh, we know that uh, the head of the Capitol Police resigned. Uh, he was blamed for what happened, but we are led to believe that it was people higher up in the chain and the food chain. The, by the way, the um, Speaker of the House, who is, let's see, who is that? Oh, yes, Nancy Pelosi is actually in charge of telling Capitol Police what to do. She is really the ultimate authority. And for some reason, they were, they were told to sort of stand down, which made people think, and I win one of those people, that this was a setup, that this was indeed a setup, a a useful situation where they knew people were coming to the Capitol. If Antifa was there, and we believe they were, I shared with you posts from Antifa where they told people to go dressed as Trump supporters uh, and wear, you know, Trump uh, paraphernalia hats and try to blend in. We know they did that, Uh, but we don't, so far... It's only denials that they were present. The FBI doesn't seem to be looking at Antifa. They don't even think they're an organization. Remember? Uh, Christopher Ray said that not long ago. We, they're more of an idea. They're more of an idea. Tell the people in Seattle. Tell the people in Portland that Antifa is just an idea and we can't really go after them. But um, Antifa, people would wonder, well, let me just say this, that when you plan to go to uh, a demonstration in Washington in the last couple of years, maybe three years even, uh, since uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa have been so prominent, um, you know that when you go there, you need to be able to protect yourself. Uh, so you need to take something to protect yourself, even on the streets now. And um, it's not illogical that people would take uh, bear spray or you know uh, a, a baton that you know that you. Uh, it's uh, not unusual that you would do that because you would need to protect yourself uh, from uh, from what was coming there, but. Uh, they are using that as a charge against these protesters. They carried weapons, but the weapons are not really weapons. They're, they didn't find any guns. Uh, and the protesters, as far as I can tell so far, have not been charged with 
any kind of damage to property. One article I saw that they they said there was something like a thousand dollars worth of damage, which is not. Look, compared to what it could have been at the Capitol, we know that not a lot of damage was done because most of the people went in there respectful of that building, but trying to do something to give Congressman courage to do what was right, and especially Vice President Pence. I've asked Julie Kelly to join us today because Julie is a political commentator and a senior contributor to the to American Greatness. She has written more articles on this than anyone that I know, and uh, I've used a lot of her articles to tell you what's happening And so uh, Julie's in Chicago. Uh, She's the author, by the way, of Disloyal Opposition, How the Never Trump Right Tried and Failed to Take Down the President. Uh, Julie, thanks for joining us this morning. Sandy, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, I'm curious to know why this this story is such a big deal to you that you've covered it so faithfully. You know, that's a good question. I guess my answer is to give voice to people who have no voice, um, people who are being treated as political prisoners by the Biden Justice Department and by the Biden intelligence community. They've been completely ignored by our political leaders, especially Republicans. I mean, these are their supporters. And what is happening to them is so egregious. This is such an abusive investigation. And it's just something that should not be happening in America. And honestly, I'm shocked that I'm one of the few people who uh, is covering what's happening and, and trying to give these people a voice. Yes, I agree. I, I'm shocked too, Julie. It's like people don't dare talk about it, but I'm not one of those people. I'm, I actually wish if, uh, honestly, there were times in my former life and uh, that I would be briefed on a certain subject and become an expert on one thing. And it, part of me at this point in time wishes I had the time. I didn't have to cover all the other news and I could right. just devote myself to this. And I'm grateful that you have done that. Uh, I was just, as you were, I've given, before you join me, I'm giving background. I'm taking people back to January 6th, and we were walking through it. Uh, we heard President Trump's final remarks. We taught, we had played sound from the Capitol. We revisited uh, the, the shooting of um, Ashley Babbitt and the, the recent information about Brian Sicknick, Sicknick that he actually did not die uh, by being attacked by Trump supporters, by bear spray or by a fire extinguisher. So, Julie, that's kind of where we are. I, um, I am now talking about the arrests, and we also played the prosecutor who was bragging about charging them with insurrection and, um, and sedition. So that's kind of where we are. But I would really like to know an update, because I'm sure you have it, on how many people are being held, under what circumstances, what do you know about that? So, Sandy, about 400 people roughly have been arrested already for various charges related to January 6th. Now, some of those people, as we know, did behave badly. Those who assaulted police officers, vandalized the building, they are charged and they should be charged and punished accordingly. But as you have pointed out, most of the people who have been detained are really, have really been charged with various offenses such as trespassing, disorderly conduct, being in a restricted area. They set up all these restricted areas and people were forbidden from going near them. This includes outside of the Capitol, too. Um, So those really have been glorified misdemeanors that prosecutors are bringing charges against. But what's really, uh, I think, terrifying is having prosecutors, U.S. government lawyers, and judges signing off on pretrial detention for nonviolent offenders and hauling them into D.C., which is already a crowded 
prison system, obviously because of the crime there and because of the pandemic. So they're forcing people to leave their home jurisdictions, transporting them to Washington, D.C., away from their family, denying them bail, keeping them in a correctional uh, treatment facility in solitary confinement for up to 23 hours a day. And we know this because the defense lawyers are bringing this up in trial. Some of them have been texting their family members, explaining the horrific conditions there. So they are political prisoners being held hostage by their government for the real crime, two crimes, one, supporting Donald Trump, and two, which I've written about a lot, and this really blows my mind every time I see it, people, judges and prosecutors who claim that these people are a threat to society because they doubt the outcome of the 2020 election, they think it was invalid. So therefore, since they don't believe Joe Biden is the legitimately elected president, they will not abide by the laws of the U.S. government. It's just preposterous, and it, you just cannot believe that prosecutors, government lawyers, are putting this into charging documents and telling this to judges who are then echoing those that sentiments when they're denying bail to these defendants. So just to, I want to say what you just said, but I want to say it differently. So people are being held and languishing in jails in D.C. They're not from D.C., but they're being hauled back to D.C. And the reason they are not being let out is because they still believe the election was stolen. That's the reason that they cannot be released because they are dangerous because they still believe that. It is really, honestly, Julie, so shocking. I want to track uh, in a minute, I want to go into pr- different people because you've been tracking them. We'll, we'll paint a picture of some of the more dramatic uh, arrests. I guess all of them really are. They're, they're sickening. I mean, really are. Uh, but uh, are any of them getting out? Yes, some of them. Well, some of them have argued successfully um, in to be released from jail. Now, what was a little encouraging, Sandy, is uh, a few weeks ago, the D.C. Appellate Court really smacked down the government and judges who were signing off on pre-trial detention for two people in particular. You remember the so-called zip tie guy? Yes, yes, and actually, actually, Julie, Julie, hold that thought because uh, I I wanted you to be able to tell the story without having to hurry, and so we we have a break here. Uh, But Julie Kelly is my guest, and by the way, uh, Julie has so many articles with American greatness about this. We will post... uh, We'll pose at least two of them, and then you can find the others, uh, because she's done great writing on this, and we will not get to every detail. And I think a lot of you will want to know these details, because where else are you going to hear them? This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Before the Pilgrims celebrated the first Thanksgiving, they signed the Mayflower Compact. It began in the name of God. Amen. They declared their purpose in coming to America. It was for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. Some deny the Christian heritage of America. Don't believe them. Godly people founded America and gave us the blessed land we enjoy today. May God continue to bless the USA. I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Here's another of our core values. 
AFA believes that all men and women, whether in private or public, should be free to exercise their faith without hindrance from the government. Thank you for standing with AFA, and we thank you for your support. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Statistics show that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and to commit crime. They're nine times more likely to drop out of school and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. Yet the percentage of children born to fatherless homes has skyrocketed in America. As of 2015, 25% of white, 53% of Hispanic, and 73% of black babies are born into fatherless homes. While scripture teaches that the weight of raising children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord falls upon fathers. Seems like we need a movement that says fatherhood matters. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with the Life and Liberty Minute. Justice is colorblind. It does not care about color. It cares only about conduct. The issue is whether George Floyd's conduct violated the law by passing counterfeit currency and resisting arrest, and whether Officer Chauvin violated the law in restraining him according to police department policy. But Congressman Maxine Waters prematurely declared Chauvin guilty and called for a civil war if the jury does not give her the verdict she demands. She said, we've got to stay on the street. We've got to get more confrontational. I hope we're going to get a verdict that will say guilty, guilty, guilty. And if we don't, we cannot go away. But street justice is not justice. It's vigilantism, unworthy of a great and just nation. We all want justice done. Maxine Waters just about made that impossible. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Affney with the Secure Freedom Minute. President Biden and Vice President Harris seized on Derek Chauvin's conviction yesterday for murdering George Floyd as proof that America is, quote, systematically racist, unquote. That insidious and false narrative happens to be one aggressively promoted by what is indisputably the most systematically racist country in the world, communist China. The Chinese Communist Party incessantly denounces America's racism to subvert this country and deflect attention from its own ongoing genocide against ethnic minorities. Worse yet, Chinese Dictator Xi Jinping is making clear that his empire-building Belt and Road Initiative will help institute new rules and standards for global governance. If he succeeds in consolidating that scheme's worldwide build-out of dual-use infrastructure and debt-trap financing arrangements, Xi will be able to enforce his totalitarian hegemony and, yes, his racist Han supremacism on others and perhaps us. This is Frank Gaffney. Andy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Developing tonight, the FBI says an Omaha man was part of the mob that stormed the Capitol building in D.C. Court documents allege that is 44-year-old Branda Straka recording a video in the crowd that day. Agents arrested him in Omaha following a tip, and now he's in federal custody on these charges. Impeding law enforcement during civil disorder knowingly entering and remaining on restricted grounds and engaging in disorderly conduct to disturb a congressional hearing. At one point, the feds believe Straka called on the mob to take away an officer's shield, which they allegedly did. 
And according to the FBI, Stryker said he was 10 to 20 feet away from the building when tear gas started coming out of the doors. Fed said Straker told them he left the Capitol after a man came out and said they got what they wanted by clearing Congress. The Fed say Straker also tweeted his involvement, and one of those messages reads in part, quote, I was there. It was not Antifa at the Capitol. It was freedom-loving patriots who were desperate to fight for the final hope of our republic because literally nobody cares about them. That sounds like a reason to arrest someone to me. That's Brandon Stryker. He's the one that started the walk-away movement, and if you heard that arrest, I think he's finally out. Uh, that's what I heard last week from Katie Hopkins. Julie Kelly is my guest. She's a political commentator, a writer for, a senior contributor for American Greatness, which is a great outlet, by the way, if you haven't availed yourself of that. Uh, Julie, let's talk about people, uh, because you have done a really great job of covering you know, the people that have been arrested. Now, you were talking about the the, the mother and son that had this, the ties, those plastic ties that were seen in the Capitol. Finish that, if you could. That's a count. So they were among some of the first people who were tracked down and arrested. Actually, most of these people turned themselves into law enforcement. So they were transported from their home in Tennessee. Uh, they're... Uh, Eric Munchell was the man who had the uh, stash of zip ties for the photograph. Oddly, there were zip ties right there. He grabbed them, and a photographer just happened to be there, Sandy, and take a picture, and of course, that went viral. He traveled there with his mother to protest the 2020 election, support the president. He did not bring the zip ties. That was another one of the original stories we were told, that people were bringing zip ties, that they were going to arrest lawmakers and, and haul them out of the Capitol. That's you right, know, and tie them police, up. Kidnap Right. The, yes. Capitol, the Capitol Police, we now know, are complicit in this entire scam. Um, they lied about what happened to Officer Sicknick. They sent a release out just the other night denying that he died of natural causes, that he still wouldn't have died had he not been engaged with protesters that day. So Capitol Police is part of the Democratic fall in media trying to stoke this, and they were doing it that day as well. So at any so rate... Is, so is the mother and son still in jail? No. So what happened is they were called to D.C. The government and judges signed off on denying them bail. They're not charged with any violent crime, mostly, as I said, trespassing, disorderly conduct, et cetera. So that case went up to the D.C. appellate court. Three judges, one appointed by Clinton, Obama, and Trump, um, they kicked it back to the judge and said, no, these are not violent offenders. The courts need to separate the violent offenders from the nonviolent ones. These two committed no, they didn't assault a police officer. They didn't vandalize any property. They actually were helping police try to get people out of there. They should be released pending trial. Kick that back to the judge, and then the government immediately uh, revoked its motion uh, to to hold them uh, in jail pending trial. So that has had a good effect on other defendants who have been released from judges. The government wants them behind bars pending delayed trials. I also will note. A lot of these are being delayed past um, the 60- to 90-day window. And so judges, after that ruling, have said to the government and to the court, look, you need to let these nonviolent defenders go. You've not proven your case. These people do not have criminal records. There's no indication they would violate home detention rules. And so it sort of had this, uh, this downstream effect, which is good. But we still have about 40 uh, defendants 
in solitary confinement in D.C. jails awaiting trials that also have been delayed. Now, of course, Sandy, there's no reason for them to be in D.C. These, these trials are all virtual anyway. These hearings with the judges have all been virtual. So it's not like they're showing up in court. Um, they're just doing this to add to the pain, add to the destruction of their lives, um, and punish them for, for supporting Donald Trump. In many cases, Julie, also you have recorded uh, the FBI raids of their homes. Like even when they're, they're nonviolent, they're just people, they have businesses, they have children, and they, it's these grand arrests uh, that em- embarrass and humiliate and really, uh, again, are destroying their lives. Uh, give us just a, another, a couple more examples, if you could, uh, in the short time that we have, of people and their treatment by federal authorities. Um, I write about one case. Bruno Kua, who's an 18-year-old high school senior from Georgia who was arrested in Atlanta in early February. He also was held pre-trial detention, even though, of course, he's 18. He has no criminal record. He traveled to Washington, D.C. with his parents on January 5th, watched the president's speech, went to the Capitol. He did go inside the building. He filmed inside the building. His parents were outside trying to reach him. They couldn't. Uh, At any rate, what the prosecutors have said about this family, um, they accused him because he is homeschooled. They said that he, quote-unquote, ingested his parents' political beliefs. They did not want to allow him back into the custody of his parents, who have been married for 20 years. They live on a farm in in, uh, Georgia. They homeschool their kids. The mother's a retired veterinarian. Um, said that they would not be proper custodians because basically they've inflicted their political views on their child. So he was held behind bars for more than six weeks in an Oklahoma jail, transported from Georgia to Oklahoma. There were reports he was assaulted by inmates there. He finally contracted coronavirus, COVID, and the judge took mercy on him. He also was largely held in solitary confinement, and now he's back at home with his parents. But what they said about homeschooling, and they also considered charging parents because as they were testifying on behalf of their son in these hearings, uh, prosecutors discovered that they were standing in a restricted area outside the Capitol. So they even considered charging the parents. So I wrote about that in March. It's called A Family uh, a family at Trial. Um, and so you can find more about that, uh, that story, yeah. which... Actually, with me. Yeah, Julie, I actually, I did, I used your article, and I cut, we'll put that back on our Facebook page, because I'm sure there's people that have not seen that, but I, that was just crushing to me, honestly. Right. Uh, then you've got lots of, you got one guy, You this is not your account, but this one gentleman, uh, he's a former military guy, uh, his wife suffered a miscarriage the day after right. the FBI raided their home, he's a combat veteran. We found, you know, uh, Julie, in the breakdown of people that were there that day, uh, just doing this from memory, it seems to me... Uh, hardly any of them were part of so-called extremist groups. Uh, a huge amount of them were business owners, and a lot of them were veterans or, or you know, first responders. And they're, they're getting horrible treatment, are they not? They are, and I've written about this too, and thanks for bringing that up. A lot of them are veterans. In fact, this Oath Keepers case that you keep hearing about, which is just so ridiculous, you see the media and the government's fixation. They brought this conspiracy case about against 10 Oath Keepers. They're all veterans, um, and they charge them with conspiracy 
no violent crimes once again. In fact, a judge released two of them who the government wanted held behind bars and was keeping them behind bars after this D.C. appellate ruling, which I just spoke about. They have committed no crime, yet they were being held pre-trial uh, detention. And as I said, a lot of them are veterans. All they did was they wore military gear. They entered the Capitol in a staff formation. They didn't, they didn't even so much as leave a mark inside the Capitol. They went inside, they walked around, took some pictures, and walked out. For that, they are being accused of being traitors. This is the case that the government is trying to build into its first sedition case, even though they, they did nothing. They didn't even come face-to-face with a lawmaker. But because of their chatter, and a lot of their chatter was public on Facebook, um, this is what the government, they're trying to turn these people into criminals. Actually, we just can't believe. Sandy, Julie, I do want to say one. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I just, let me just briefly read Oath Keeper's description of themselves. Nonpartisan association of current and formerly serving military, police, and first responders who pledge to fulfill the oath all military and police take to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That's who they are. Okay, Julie, yeah. sorry to interrupt you. Um, I do want to say what I find found outrageous yesterday. 48 Republican senators voted. It was almost unanimous, 98-2 vote in the Senate yesterday to confirm Lisa Monaco, an Obama loyalist who is a Russiagator, who is an outspoken Trump critic in her four years out of office. They just put her in charge of the Justice Department. Merrick Garland is nothing but a figurehead. He's a Robert Mueller-ish type. If anyone watched his confirmation hearing, he compared January 6th to Oklahoma City bombing. Um, but but he, he doesn't know what's going on. They, the Democrats just did that as a revenge move against Mitch McConnell. It was silly. Lisa Monaco will now be running the show. She is going to accelerate this investigation into Trump supporters because that's what she did when she worked for the Obama administration. She used her government authority against Trump supporters and the president himself to the extent that she it, that she did before Trump took office. Okay, so um, Republicans so, just put her in charge of our yeah. Justice well, David, the thank you for bringing that up, Julie, because uh, this is the recurring theme. Republicans are cooperating in uh, endorsing yes, and voting for almost every single appointee of Joe That's Biden. Right. And some people might remember that President Trump could not get his nominees to the Republican Senate under Mitch McConnell. That's one of the reasons he had so much trouble getting the government going to do actually what he had promised he was going to do because Republicans stood in the way. This is just one of the most incredible stories of yep. betrayal ever, and now they continue to do the same thing. We're running out of time. So, Julie, where are we? Le- where is this going? Is this going to be one big – what do they have planned, do you think? Is this going to have an end point where they march them all and hang them in front of us for sedition? What are they going to do? It's amazing, Sandy. That's what a lot of Americans want. It's stunning to see the replies to these articles. People want them. They want them executed, basically. It's stunning, as you said. So I'm not really sure. Some of these cases are falling apart. I think the D.C. appellate ruling had a chilling effect on uh, prosecutors continuing to ask for pretrial detention in basically every case. So, um, But look, they still haven't brought any sedition charges. So I'm continuing to follow this. You can find my work at ambreatness.com. I'm also on Twitter quite a bit. Julie underscore Kelly, too, where I post a lot of, you know, breaking news related to the investigation. Yes, and you do a great job. I follow that, too. Uh, Julie, one last question. This is kind of a big one, and you may have no answer. 
Uh, but I reported as in real time how um, Antifa was tweeting, you know, or sending out Facebook or social media messages to dress like Trump supporters, wear their paraphernalia. We know that someone broke the windows of the Capitol. It's not very likely that Trump supporters would be breaking the windows of the Capitol that they love. Do you know any, and yet there's this strong denial that Antifa had no part in this or very little. Do you know anything about their involvement or anybody even looking into their involvement? That is an angle I'm asked about a lot, and I wish I had more resources to look into it. There is some some disagreement if Antifa was there, they planned it. I know people who cover Antifa a lot who say that there's not a lot of evidence that they were there. But when you talk to protesters who actually were there that day, even early on, they feel very strongly that there were Antifa members who were agitating this and who participated and helped, you know, create some aspects of the chaos that, that were filmed that day. And so I just, I do think time will tell as to who some of these people are and what Antifa's role, role really was that day. Well, the thing of it is, it's obvious, Julie, that they're not going to go in looking like Antifa and breaking windows right. in the Capitol. They're not going to do that. Uh, they, they actually, I feel, personally, my gut tells me this is an orchestrated event uh, not that there weren't bad actors on the part of Trump supporters. I bet there were some, but I bet there weren't many. Uh, and that there there was some optics they were going for. I, I think about even the shooting of Ashley Babbitt, that moment where uh, there were police right around there, why the Capitol policeman had to, from another room, uh, shoot, shoot and kill her point blank like that when there were police to take her down and she wasn't armed. There are so many mysteries here. And the problem is the Justice Department is not uh, really looking for justice And they're not really looking for truth. They're looking to find things that will support their narrative, that Trump supporters are insurrectionists, uh, should be charged with sedition. And as Julie said, many American people feel they should be uh, killed, eliminated, because you know why. All right, Julie, this is tough stuff. But I really appreciate your writing. I appreciate your dedication to this. And uh, we will put Julie's information on our Facebook page. Well, let's just hope that it stays there as long enough for you to get it. <laughs> Julie Kelly, thanks a lot. I appreciate you joining me so early from Chicago. Thank you so much. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.